Let me take just a moment of uh, personal privilege and uh, on behalf of Joss and myself, just a big thank you. Uh, the outpouring of words of encouragement, I believe this has been Pastor Appreciation Month. And we have just received so many words of, and cards of encouragement. And it is a privilege and a blessing uh, to be alongside you as pastor. And, and so it's, it, I just rejoice before God and, and give you thanks as well. Um, I, I wanted to point out uh, to those of you online as well that uh, we have a devotion guide that's going along uh, with our current sermon series. And we have a few hard copies left out on the table out there. If you need one uh, and um, you're not here at church this morning, feel free to contact the office and we can mail you one or we can have one set aside for you to pick up. We also have it uh, in a PDF form and it's located, you can find it at the top of our website. The last line at that top list uh, says, um, uh, hearing the Spirit speak handout and you can hit that and download it onto your computer, print it off. You can have it on your phone. It's a fillable PDF, and so you can make use of it just as a tool to continue our way along through this series. Um, this morning, I'd like to begin with this question. Who are you? Think about it. Who are you? And who really knows you as you are? I was reflecting on this this past week, and I did some investigation just about how do we know one another? In fact, what are the levels that we can actually know the people around us? And I'm, there's a number of different models, but I came across one, and this was on um, uh, psychologytoday.com, and it, it was a, a piece written back in 2010 by a professor um, out of the University of uh, New Hampshire, and he was actually referring to a piece that had been written in 1996 uh, by a professor out of um, Northwestern. And that professor, a man by the name of Don McAdams, he had this model where we could know people at three different levels. That level one is to know general traits of a person, something that a stranger might be able to recognize. So the example they give is that if a person is introverted or extroverted, just general traits. Level two has to do with having a grasp of a person's wants and the strategies that they use to go about achieving those desires. So the wants and then the way that they go about achieving those desires. So level one, general traits. Level two, knowing something about their desires, their wants, and how they go about getting them. And then the third level, the, the next level down, the, the last level that they identified in the model, was to know the nuances associated with the person's identity. The nuances associated with the person's identity. So getting to know them beyond their general traits, beyond their wants and the strategies that they use, and getting to know the nuances of the person. So who knows you at each of these levels? Who knows you at the, each of these levels? Today, we're not here to argue this model. That's not the intent of why we've gathered. We're going to use it, though, as a framework in our conversation of understanding how well do we know the Holy Spirit? How well do we know the Holy Spirit? What does it look like 
to grow in knowledge of the Spirit at all three levels. Level one, general traits. Level two, the wants or the desires of the Spirit and the strategies that the Spirit uses to pursue those desires. And then level three, the nuances of the Spirit's identity. All right, so today we're calling our conversation The Spirit, Philip, and the Ethiopian. And before we read our text, let me give just a brief uh, word of context, of, of introduction. If you know the story of the book of Acts, when we get to chapter 6, this, the book of Acts is all about the early church. After the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we have the, the church beginning uh, uh, to take shape in this world. When we get to chapter 6, we find that there's an issue, a little bit of a controversy going on in the early church. There were uh, Hellenist uh, Jews that were becoming Christians, and there were Hebraic Jews that were becoming Christian. And, and, and as they were gathering together, the, um, those that were Greek speakers, the Hellenists, they weren't getting the kind of support, at least they didn't feel that they were getting the kind of support that the Hebraic Jews uh, that had become Christians were getting. And so there was this big thing of, okay, so how are we going to resolve this? And they said, let's set aside seven individuals of good repute, who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. Individuals of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And the two people at the top of the list uh, were Stephen and Philip. And so the story goes on. It tells us about Stephen and how, how Stephen uh, stood out for the Lord and stepped up and, and that he was actually killed because of his witness for Christ. And as we move forward in the story, we get to chapter 8, and now that uh, we, we finish the story of Stephen, we find Luke take, taking his attention and applying it to, to Philip. Um, and so let's go ahead and uh, read our text. Our text is from Acts chapter 8, and we'll be in verses 26 through 40. So with your Bibles open or make use of our screen, but let's receive the Word of God this morning. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May God bless the reading of his word. And as we come under that word, may God shine his favor upon us as well. All right, here's how we're going to divide up our talk. This is a triple P-U talk. Yeah. Aren't we so, like we never leave middle school, do we? <laughs> he just said P-U. Triple P-U. So three P's in the U. We're going to talk about the Spirit as personal, purposeful, providential, and ubiquitous. We'll figure out what all that means. First, the Holy Spirit is personal. Let's acknowledge this is level one knowing. This is a general trait we're going to talk about. The Holy Spirit is personal. So let's take a look at uh, our passage, verses 26 through 40. We find in verse 26 these words, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Isn't it interesting that in the in this story, we find as we go through this story, we're going to see that the Spirit of God is speaking and the Spirit of God is acting. And so we have a, a focus on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God working the text. But we begin the text with an angel of the Lord. Now, there are other times in the Bible where an angel of the Lord is mentioned, and all of a sudden it sounds like that angel of the Lord is also God, and, and, and we could even assume here that, that is the angel of the Lord also the Holy Spirit, and, and is that just part of the, the communication taking place? Or, or is the angel of the Lord somebody else, something else that is, has arrived? This is where, it's one of those places where I think, I, I know it's true for me, but maybe you share in this as well. I want to go, Luke, Luke, give me more detail right here. Tell me, who was this person? What did they look like? Why couldn't they take a selfie? Show us some more data. I want to know, how does this happen? So I can be aware of it in my own life. What, what might that be if God were to send an angel to me? What does that look like? What we can affirm is that God spoke personally. To Philip. God's message came to Philip in, 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 this, in this angel that this was a personal message for Philip, for Philip, one individual. As God's holding together all of the universe, the very God that keeps the most distant planet spinning, the God who designed everything at the quantum level, this God who holds all of that universe together, both cosmic and quantum. This God chooses to give a message to Philip and then tells Philip, here's where I want you to go. Just a, a very specific direct, you know, there's a road from Jerusalem down to Gaza. I want you to go down it. Just go down this road. I've got something for you to do. Then we find in verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, so Philip's gone down the road, and the Spirit says to him, hey, go over by that chariot. Uh, by the way, a ch chariot, uh, uh, 
Um, at least in my mind, having grown up with a movie like Ben-Hur and some of those old movies, I just always picture war chariots and, you know, those little uh, um, two-wheel uh, things with the open back. Uh, chariots back, this word can also mean kind of more like a wagon. It will have a little bench in an open-air wagon with two wheels behind a couple horses. So the Spirit says, go over alongside that chariot. I wonder about the whether there was a word to Philip along the way, like if Philip wasn't walking fast enough, you know, was the Spirit saying, hurry up, I got hurt. Okay, slow down, slow down. Not, now you're ahead of the game. But here, he, it's like at the right time, Philip is there and the chariot is there, and the Spirit has a specific word, not only to Philip, not only about a location, but a specific word in a moment. This is the moment. It's ripe for the work of God through Philip. You know, just a quick word about the Ethiopian. Uh, the country that the individual would have been from was known as Nubia, excuse me. It's um, south of Egypt. So if we were to take the lower half, half of Egypt today and the upper half of, of Sudan, that would have been the area that this person was from. It would have been known as a land of, of uh, people with dark skin and um, He's a treasurer, so he's got an official position. They say he's a eunuch, which there can be a number of different meanings to that. But given the context, uh, the individual is probably castrated and, and is serving the queen uh, of the country. Um, and so here's this important person in his, in his wagon, in his chariot, and the Spirit uh, sends Philip to him. And then we find that Philip asks a question. Do you know what you're reading? Back in the day, people would have read out loud. It was just the common thing. When you read, you don't just sit down and read silently to yourself. You would take the, the scroll. He would have purchased a scroll when he was up in Jerusalem, and he was reading this scroll out loud. And so with an open cart there, and, and uh, Philip comes alongside, and he can hear him. Do you know what you're reading? I find it interesting that here, we don't have Luke writing down, and the Spirit told him what to ask. We just have uh, Philip asking the question. Here's, here's a man who we've already been told that he was a person of good repute and that he was full of the Spirit and he was wise. And so in that wisdom, he just asked the question. I love that the Spirit's involved, but that doesn't negate Philip's involvement. And Philip asks the question. Of course, in verse 31, we find the response, the, the Ethiopian, how can I know unless um, someone guides me? And then they look at the passage that the Ethiopian was, take, was, was uh, focused on. It comes from Isaiah 53. Now, in the first century, Isaiah 53 was not really a go-to messianic passage. Um, in fact, Jesus was the only one really speaking about it in those terms. Everybody else was thinking, you know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be a national leader. And uh, Isaiah 53 talks about one who suffers on our behalf. So here's this passage being put before the Ethiopian, and it's just ripe, just ripe for Philip to step in. The Ethiopian asks the question, what does it mean? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about another? And Philip, it says in verse 35, he opens his mouth. He opens his mouth, and he told him the good news about Jesus. 
starting with that passage, and he just tells them good news about Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said about the Spirit in, gospel of, in the Gospel of John? He will bring to your memory, your, your remembrance, everything that I have said. He'll bring to your remembrance everything that I've said. Jesus was the one who had uh, brought Isaiah 53 in the teaching of uh, the suffering servant and applied it to himself. And, and this is all coming back. And so the Spirit being at work here even. And then in verse 39, uh, actually in verses 36 through 38, we find this baptism taking place. Now let's see a quick pause here. Hold with me. Um, there is a passage in Isaiah 56. So just three chapters after uh, chapter 53. And the passage goes like this. There's a connection to our, our, our text. Um, it, it, listen to what it says there. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to them, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Do you see what's taking place? Not only is the Spirit speaking to Philip, not only is the Spirit arranging this, this encounter, but the Spirit is fulfilling a prophecy that was made hundreds of years before. The Spirit is all over the activity that's taking place. It had long been said back during the time of Moses that um, if you're a foreigner or a eunuch, you couldn't make your way to the temple. In Isaiah, we're being told of a time when it would be opened up, and now here we see the Ethiopian going, Here's water. Let me be baptized. And he's baptized. And we trust in the, in the moment of that baptism that, the, that as he turns his heart over to, uh, over to God through Christ, that he receives the Holy Spirit and he goes on his way rejoicing. And then we're told in verse 39 that the Spirit of the Lord whisks or snatches um, uh, Philip away. I love this. Did you hear all the ways that the Spirit was working we see an angel speaking to Philip. The Spirit gives specific instructions. The Spirit brings Scripture to mind. The Spirit is active in the Ethiopian's life. The Spirit is present in baptism. The Spirit snatches Philip away. And the Spirit fulfills ancient prophecy. The Spirit of God is work. So what can we expect? What can you expect in your life this week because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you? as a follower of Christ. You know that passage. Maybe if, if you've been around church long enough, you've heard of it. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, the prophet of Joel, God spoke through the prophet and said, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. 
Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. What can you expect? There's no reason for us not to expect that that the spirit would show up and guide us and work in us and through us and equip us for moments and and make use of interactions in, in our life. You, your actions, your ministry, the people around you, it's all known to the Spirit. By the way, we get a little bit of level two knowing here. We get, we get an idea of the strategies that, that the Spirit does, and even the wants as He moves us toward other people. He uses us and moves us toward other people for God's glory. All right, let's go on to the Holy Spirit is purposeful. The Holy Spirit is purposeful. And here we're going to experience some level one knowledge about the Spirit, but I think we'll also be moving to some more level two knowledge. The Bible in the New Testament provides us just a great slew of passages about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, so these are passages you could look up. um, I'll just put a quick slide up here. In the Bible, the Spirit is also described as interceding uh, for us uh, before the Father, Romans 8, 26 and 27, assuring us, Romans 8, 16. By the way, this list is in your study guide handout that you received on the way in, the whole list with all the Bible passages, so you don't have to write it all down now. The Holy Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit uh, is assuring us, empowering us in hope. I love that line, empowering us in hope. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us the things of God, The Holy Spirit is equipping us for ministry. The Holy Spirit is giving us life. And the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit's doing all these things. And then we find out in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit has a mission for us to do, empowers us for mission. Jesus said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Mission. Witness. We know that God desires all to be saved. Paul wrote that to Timothy. We find it in 1 Timothy 2.4. So how, do, how the Spirit works out God's mission through those who follow Christ. Here's how it happens, at least in our text today. We find that at the beginning of chapter 8, there's a description of the persecution that's going on in Jerusalem. Not that God caused the persecution, but, but God uses that persecution to send his people out from Jerusalem, to scatter them. And so God, using this persecution, using what, this chaos in the midst of it, maybe we even think in our own world, in our own nation right now, our world, there can be all this kind of chaos and we can get overwhelmed by it and worrisome about it. In that first century, God made use of that chaos, that persecution, and his disciples were sent out. We find in verses 4 through 8 of chapter 8 that Philip goes to Samaria and has an incredible ministry there. He proclaims the word, but he also shows these amazing signs, these these wonders, like God would be working through him to heal people. So proclaiming and signs. And it says that the whole city experienced joy. 
Don't you love that? that here's, here's Philip that's talking to a whole community and big things are happening all over and we don't have any of the details. It just says that it's taking place. And then we get this story of Philip and the Ethiopian where God narrows in on just one little relationship. So what can we expect? Well, if that same purpose uh, still resides in God, which it does, then we can know that God catches each of us up in mission. It's what God does. It's, the, it's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. God catches each of us up in mission to spread the good news about Jesus. The Spirit's pur- purposeful mission for you, it's to proclaim the good news. It's to be a witness right where you are. Who is the who, or more grammatically correct, who is the whom about your mission? Where is the where? When is the when? Even this week, who will you be reaching out to? Who will God be arranging in your life? Where will it take place? When will that conversation happen? We already know the why. Because God desires that all would be saved. And it's all for God's glory. The Holy Spirit is purposeful. The Holy Spirit is providential. And here we have level one and level two learning, but we also maybe find just a little bit of level three knowledge about the Spirit. Here's what we know. The arranged meeting of Philip and the Ethiopian was due to the providential work of God's Spirit. What do we mean by providence? Let's use a, a definition by John Piper. I think this one works pretty well. Providence is the wise and purposeful use of sovereignty. All right, let me say that again because it's important. Providence, providence is the purposeful and wise use of sovereignty. So what do I mean by sovereignty? God's sovereignty is God's right and power to do all that he decides to do. God is sovereign over all things. It's his right and power over all of the universe to do whatever God desires to do. That's his sovereignty. Providence is when he chooses to use his sovereignty purposefully and wisely in a moment. The Holy Spirit is providential. The arranged meeting of Philip and the Ethiopian was due to the providential, the wise and purposeful work of God. That means it's not a happenstance. It just didn't happen by chance. It was not a coincidence. God worked through an angel. God worked through the Spirit. He brought the experience about. And I believe God very much continues to work this way even today. When I was a student at Fuller, um, there was somebody I met. I may have mentioned this story before, but there was someone I met and I didn't know the person, but I I met them and, and they related a story uh, to a group of us. And this person was walking alongside the quad of the Fuller campus out in Pasadena, California. And all of a sudden, there was an impression that the person had on their heart that they were supposed to go over and talk to somebody on the other side of the quad. This had not happened to this person before. And so just kind of push it away like, oh, that's, that sounds awkward and embarrassing and, and that can't be happening to me. So try to push it away, and it happened again. 
And they felt it was just strong. It was just strong and tried to push it away a couple different times and, and then finally went forward with a very specific word to a very specific person and shared that word. And a ministry took place in that moment with that person. I believe that the spirit who is working through Philip continues to work in the world through God's children today. Let's just take a bit of a pause, though. Let's talk about this word coincidences. I know I've heard it. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe we've even been the ones who have said it. There is no coincidences. There's only God instances. Um, uh, and by the way, I don't mean to, I've, I think I've said that before too. Here's where I think it'd be helpful of us to acknowledge that there are times when simply because of the probability of the improbable or the seemingly improbable, things happen. The probability of the seemingly improbable means in this world things happen. L let me give you an example. Math mathematicians help us with this. Do you know how many people it, you need to have in a room in order for there to be a 50-50 chance that someone in the room has your same birthday? Do you know how many people you need to have in a room for there to be a 50-50 chance for someone to have your same birthday? It's only 23. If you have 23 people in a room, there's going to be somebody, there's a 50-50 chance somebody else has your birthday. So we might show up and go, you have my same birthday. How could this possibly happen? This has got to be a God thing. All of a sudden, we're all, we just rush to that. Sometimes probability of the seemingly improbable means that stuff just happens. But that doesn't mean God can't use it or that God doesn't use it. Yes, there are times when God arranges things, where God is moving providentially, but there are other times where, where seven billion people just happen to bump into each other at seemingly improbable times, but probability says it, it could happen. No matter what brings it about, God can use that moment for his glory. In other words, seemingly improbable stuff doesn't necessarily mean a God instance, but it does mean an instance that God can use. So for us, what does it mean? What, is it, what, are, the, what are the implications for us of, God, of the Spirit being providential? One is for us to be open. One is for us to be open. This week, would you be open? Spirit, I'm open to be used by you. The Bible tells me that you live in me. I'm open to be used by you. The next thing is, get set. Get set. You know, that's why we have a, a devotion. That's why, that's why we spend time getting to know. That's why we look at passages like Isaiah 53 so we know what God's working on. That's why we learn the gospel. That's why, why we memorize Bible verses. We, we get ourselves prepared to be used by the Spirit in any situation. We're building that relationship so that, that we're prepared. Be open, get set. And then be ready to go. Be ready to go. Wherever God might have you this week, on the playing field with your team, at work with a coworker on your streets, passing by somebody, maybe it's the checkout person at Kroger, whatever it might be, be open, get set, be ready to go. Finally, the Holy Spirit is ubiquitous. The Holy Spirit is ubiquitous. Again, maybe this is a level one. With Philip, here's, here's what in our story, the Spirit was with Philip, the Spirit was at work with the Ethiopian. 
the, the, the Spirit was, was in the midst of that conversation. The, the Spirit was not only there, but the Spirit was with other disciples. The Spirit was in those conversations and the conversations that the disciples were having with other people. And, and the Spirit was, we can trust the Spirit of God to be at work all over this planet. The Spirit is everywhere and all around. God's Spirit is at work. The Spirit is ubiquitous. So that changes how we view the world around us. And I think it raises for us two necessary and important questions. As we're going through our little experience of the world, for us to be able to ask, what is the Spirit doing in that person? Wherever you are, we can be asking, God, what are you doing in that person? And we can ask the other question, God, what are you doing in this moment? God, what are you doing in that? If we are always to have the sense that God is doing stuff in this world, that the Spirit of God is out in this world doing the work of God and sending God's children forward to make a difference. And in this moment, God, what are you doing? What would you have me do in this moment for your glory? Maybe God would have you pray for another person. Maybe God would have you do some kind of good work that they would glorify God because they saw you as a follower of Christ doing a good work. Maybe God would have you tell them the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And maybe God might have you baptize somebody. Maybe God might have you. There's so many different things that God could call you to in that moment. If we're open, that the Spirit of God is at work all over the planet. How do we know this Holy Spirit? At what level? At what level do we know the Holy Spirit? So we know at level one, we can affirm, you know, the Holy Spirit is personal and purposeful and providential and ubiquitous. We can know at level two that there's a missional purpose, a sending out, a proclamation purpose with strategies of directing and sending and moving and engaging and making use of real-world events. Even at level three, we can know this. We can know that the Spirit is God, that that's his identity. But to truly be open to this level of knowing the Spirit, we need to remain open. It's so important that we would be open to getting to know the Spirit. The level three knowledge of the Spirit is something that I believe is more caught than taught. It's like experiencing somebody else. Being, being connected and depending and learning about each other in the midst of the nuances of the Spirit's identity. We call this sermon, The Spirit, Philip, and the Ethiopian. But maybe we could call it The Spirit and You. The Spirit, You, You, and blank. The Spirit, you, and, and whoever it is that, that the Spirit is going to have you engage this week or on Thursday at 4 or, or, or Wednesday at 5 or, or whatever it might be, that who is that person that the Spirit will work in you, through you, toward the other person? Let's pray together. Father, you are a good God. You are a God who sends your Spirit Father, Son, and Spirit, one God in three persons, the third person of the Trinity, and that you cause your Spirit to dwell in your children and to use your children, to use us in this world to help other people know the goodness that you offer through Christ. 
would you make us ready? Just like Philip was ready? That we would be open and, and prepared and that we're ready to go? That you would use us to help other people know the good news of Jesus and the salvation that is theirs through him. To you be all the glory. We pray these things. Amen.